Pastor Javen will continue looking at the implications of the resurrection for those who choose to follow Christ. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's worship. I don't know if you remember this, and those of you who are still in school, I don't know if you still have these kind of assemblies or not, but when I was in school, we would have assemblies. And one of the assemblies that we would have was they would bring prisoners to the school. And uh, they would talk to us about what caused them to go to prison. Right? It was kind of letting us know, right, this happened, this is the effect. Right? And there was always that one story that stood out to me. It was the one, it was the guy that said, I wasn't a part of the crime. I was just with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And because I was with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time, I'm now serving time in prison. That story always stood out to me and always stuck to me, right? Now, I grew up here in, in, in Kershaw County. I grew up in Lugolf. So if you wonder why I never hung out with you in high school, or that might be why. Because I knew if I hung out. I'm just kidding. But see, that's the implications. The implications of him being or them being in the wrong place at the wrong time was prison, right? But implications don't have to have a negative effect. Implications can have a positive effect. Just like when you were in the right class at the right time. And because that class got rewarded for something that you didn't actually do, you received the implications of a positive reward, right? For just being in the right class at the right time. Over these next few weeks, I want to look at again, more in depth, the implications of the resurrection an act that we have nothing to do with. We had nothing to do with Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. But when we put ourselves in Christ, we reap the rewards of that resurrection. We have implications that come to us through the resurrection. Last week through our Easter service, we looked at the fact that Jesus came and he defeated our greatest curse, which was death. And one of the implications that we have of the resurrection is that we have life with Christ, not one day, but now. We can have life with Christ right now. And the scripture that Logan read for us this morning, it's, it's right in the middle of a chapter that's right in the middle of a, of a letter from Paul that is just chock full of wisdom from about what Jesus Christ has done and what he's made available to us. N.T. Wright, he's a British scholar. I mean, if you, if you ever use the version app and you use that daily uh, verse and you scroll through and you watch the videos, occasionally N.T. Wright will pop up on there, sitting at his desk with his book open and show, staring very, very intellectually his British wisdom. But he says this about Romans chapter 8. He says, Romans 8 is a veritable feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath. He says, if the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans chapter 8, there's no telling what might happen. And that's very true. I heard, I heard another person put Romans chapter 8 this way, saying when you jump into the middle of this chapter, it's like taking, uh, putting on a blindfold, being spun around 10 times, and then being pushed into a swimming pool full of spaghetti sauce. You know you're in the middle of something rich and meaty. You just don't know what all's going on, right? See, that's, a, that's the southern description of Romans chapter 8. Now, leading up to this moment of where we are in, in Romans, Paul has been telling the church, he's been telling God's people, he's like, look, ever since the beginning, God, people have been choosing sin over God. And because they're choosing sin over God, they are choosing the wages that come with sin, which is death, Paul says. But he lets us know that even though man constantly chooses sin over God, 
that God sent Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ willingly came to this world to give us life, to give his life, to give us life. And he makes this powerful statement in Romans chapter five. He said, God showed us love by dying on the cross, even while we were still sinners. Paul was letting him know, look, you didn't have to change everything to receive God's love. He talks about the battle that we constantly face in our lives where we're wrestling with what we want to still do because of our fleshly desires versus the fact that we want to obey God and we want to follow God. And throughout this letter, Paul shows us that Christ coming to this earth changed everything. It changed the whole impact. It changed the way they approached the law. It changed man's relationship with God. And it changed the perspective by which we can view life and view our relationship with God. Earlier in Romans chapter 8, in verse 2, Paul made this statement. He said, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What did we say last week that Jesus defeated? He defeated death. What leads to death? Sin. So not only has he freed us from death, his spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. So here's an implication that I want us to get today. The implication is this, is that through his resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you do not have to be in bondage to sin in your life. Through his death, we receive forgiveness for our sins. But the necessary complement of forgiveness of sin is the release from the power of sin. So Jesus's death releases you from the penalty of sin. His resurrection releases you from the power of sin. And there is beauty in that. And I want us to grab that this morning and understand that. When you look back at the miracles of Jesus in the gospels, there's several times that we see in miracles that Jesus did that people came to Jesus for healing, but Jesus didn't just heal them. He forgave them of their sins and they came and they weren't seeking forgiveness. They were seeking healing, but Jesus gave them more than what they were looking for. One such story, I love this story, and it's many people's favorites. It's the story of the the cripple who had four friends who took him to see Jesus because they knew that Jesus was in the business of healing people and performing miracles. So they went to this house, and the house was full. It was overflowing. They couldn't get in the house. So what do they do? They climb up on the roof, and they start digging a hole in this poor man's roof, right? Pulling the, the tiles off of his roof to make a hole. Can you imagine being that guy? I don't know if he had insurance or not, but I mean, they're making a hole in his roof and they do it big enough to lower him down on his bed down to Jesus. And Jesus looks at this man. And the first thing Jesus tells him is you are forgiven. This guy didn't come to him with anything to sacrifice. Think about it. He didn't come with him with any offering to give. The only thing he came to him with was a need. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are forgiven. Now that bothered the people around him. That bothered the people around Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, what's more difficult? Is it more difficult to forgive someone or is it more difficult to heal someone? And then Jesus looks at the cripple and he says, I tell you, pick up your mat and walk. 
So not only did he forgive him, he healed him. When Jesus healed him through his power, he demonstrated his power as a divinity and as a God to forgive. He solidified what he was doing. But Jesus' forgiveness was given to the man. But here's a demonstration. Here's what that miracle demonstrates to us. It demonstrates the fullness of salvation. When Jesus forgives you of your sins, he empowers you to walk in a new way. His death releases you from the penalty of sin. You have forgiveness. His resurrection releases you from the power of sin. You have the ability to walk in a new way. See, there, there's a great question if you've been in church long enough or you've been to church service long enough, you've been, you've been witnessed to maybe before. Maybe you've used this question when talking to people before. The question is, if you died tonight, you know the question? Do you know where you will spend eternity? Will you spend eternity with God? That is a great question. That's an important question because we should have a desire to spend an eternity with God, not making light of that question. It's an important question. But an even more, a question that we also need to ask beyond that is if we choose that we want to spend eternity with God, a question we need to ask is if we wake up in the morning, is my life going to be different because of what Christ has done and because his Holy Spirit lives in me today? Because more than just where will I spend eternity, Jesus, Jesus is looking for more than just that. He's looking for what are you allowing me to do in and through your life today? See, accepting that Jesus paid the penalty of your sin is one thing. Letting Jesus take over your heart and your life is another. But both are part of salvation. Both are part of following God. Both are implications of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus would also tell people at times when he was on this earth, he would say, leave your life of sin or go and sin no more. When you look through the gospel of John, you see a situation where he healed someone. And after he healed him, he told him, go and sin no more. The, the most famous one is the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and brought to Jesus. And when Jesus told the people condemning her to throw rock, go ahead and throw rocks. If you don't have any sin in your life, none of them throws a rock. They all walk away. Jesus stands up. And Jesus, the one who would have the ability to stone her, looks at her because he's perfect, looks at her and says, I don't condemn you either. And he accepts her. And then he tells her, to go and sin no more. There's a powerful illustration in that when it comes to our sin and who we are with Christ. His act towards this woman points to the the gospel message is not just stop sinning. Because if the gospel message was that, Lord help us all. When you look back at the the history of of the Jews up until Jesus comes, the Old Testament that we read, it shows that they had a inability to stop sinning. We looked through our, in that series, we were last in it. I mean, we, we saw many aspects of no matter how many great renewals in the word of God that they had, they still fell right back into life of sin. The gospel message and what Jesus demonstrated to this woman is if you behold the love and the acceptance that God has for you, then you'll have the power to stop sinning. God's acceptance in our life is not the reward that we receive after we liberate ourselves from sin. If that was the case, we would never receive God's acceptance. God's acceptance is what empowers us to have victory over sin. Knowing that even though we were still sinners, he came and gave his life for us. He opened his arms to love and to accept us and to receive us 
but not just receive us to change us, to give us a new life and a better life. So in other words, if you're trying to gain acceptance from God by beating sin, you need to change your approach. You've got to change your approach because you have to realize that God has already accepted you. He's waiting on you to accept him, to receive him, to receive the forgiveness he's offering you. Just receive it and then let his power change you. Paul goes on in Romans chapter eight to explain what makes this implication a reality. That the fact that we have power over sin through the resurrection. And that is the fact that he has given us his spirit to be in us, to live in us, to walk with us. His spirit lives in, dwells in, he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. When you look at the grammatical use of that terminology, it is an ongoing, present tense usage of that word. So that means that he continually dwells. Now, what's important about that? Paul is pointing out that like their ancestors had discovered over and over, that the spirit would make an appearance. Paul is saying he's not just a spirit that makes an appearance from time to time. He is a spirit that continually dwells and lives in our life and now empowers us to live in victory over sin. And so we, we've got this, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, Paul is transitioning from a chapter in his letter, from a part in his letter, uh, which we see in Romans chapter seven, where he's talking about this wrestling in this war in Romans chapter seven, just a couple of verses, Romans chapter seven, verse 17. He says, I'm not, he says, when I'm sinning, cause this is right after he's talking about the fact that, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And the things I want to do, I don't do. He goes on, he says, well, I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That's my sinful nature. Because I want to do what's right, but I can't. And in verse 20, he says this. He says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. Now, we need to understand this. Paul's not making an excuse and justifying sin. He's not saying, well, if you sin, it's okay because it's not really you sinning. That's not what he's saying. What he's pointing out is there is a nature that we have born in. It's a counterfeit nature that our spiritual enemy has placed in our life that leads us to sin, that leads us to death. Where God created originally man in God's image. But Jesus Christ came so that we can be born, what? Again. And created anew in the image of God out of that sinful nature. So Paul is telling them, he's reminding them, he's saying, look, you are wrestling with this nature that's on the inside of you that wants to sin. But then if you look at Romans chapter 8, again in verse 11, what do he say? The spirit of God who did what? Raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So that means that the power of the resurrection, the resurrection power of the spirit lives in you to resurrect you from the death of sin. And he says, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. That spirit living in you helps you overcome. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, look guys, you need to stop paying attention to that annoying, the annoying resident in your life that's only wanting to destroy your home. Right? No, parents, that's not your kids. Stop paying attention to the annoying residents that's in your home trying to destroy it. Instead, give more attention to the residents that's trying to spruce things up and make things better. 
And he goes on to say, he's telling me, he says, guys, you don't have any obligation to your flesh. You are not in debt to your flesh. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you have been freed from that. You, you don't have to be obedient to the nature and the sinful fleshly desires that are within you, is what Paul is saying. See, Jesus owed us nothing, but he showed us love. Sin has done nothing for us. Jesus has done everything for us. And what he asks in return is for us to love him and the Father with everything in us and to love others in the same way that he loved us. He goes on, Paul says, to say that if we don't give attention to the Spirit and we keep giving the attention to that fleshly nature and that fleshly desires, we're going to go right back into the thing and into the curse that Jesus came to defeat. We're going to walk right back into it. But if you let the Spirit live in you, then the Spirit will empower you to evict that nature. See, we have to remember that the faith, we talked about this a couple in in our series last week, said as long as we're living, until Jesus returns or until we die, sin is going to always be chasing us. Because its ultimate goal is to destroy. Temptation is always going to be there. It's always going to be around. So here's what we've got to remember. That faith or that flesh and fleshly desires where they can coerce us. They don't have to control you when you are in Christ. There was an English theologian in the 1600s by the name of John, John Owen. He said, you must always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And see, the thing is, we don't try to kill sin. We try to tame it. And trying to tame sin is like trying to, is like one of those people that take predators as pets and try to tame them. I mean, you you can Google stories of this happening, you know, people taking in predators and making them pets, which is weird to me. Um, I remember one, uh, as a Pennsylvania woman who took a bear to be a pet bear. I don't know what kind of bear it was. I just know it was not a stuffed animal bear. All right. And she named it Teddy. That was her name for the bear. That's not a bear that's big and kills things. That's not a Teddy. All right. But she had this bear that she called a pet and it lived in, she had a, a cage for it. But for nine years, her routine in the evening was to go in to throw dog food on one side of that cage And the bear would go eat the dog food while she cleaned the cage. Doing this for nine years, it worked. Well, one night, the bear decided that dog food wasn't enough. And this bear that she thought loved her, that she thought gave her enjoyment, that she thought was good for her, turned on her. And killed her. And even though they said that she obeyed every county inspection, this was interesting to me when I looked back and tried to find this story and research it. She obeyed every county inspection, but it didn't matter. She let the predator live with her and she kept feeding it. There was a supervisor that made this comment. The supervisor of game commission, he said, why this woman chose to go in the same area that the bear was in is beyond me. Now, my 
question to the game commissioner in the county is why the county allows people to have predators of pits is beyond me. But anyway, he goes on. He says, it's a fatal mistake. These things, listen to what he said, these things, common sense, are not tame animals. They're wild animals, right? A neighbor, this is funny to me. I don't, it shouldn't be funny, but it, a neighbor described the owner this way. They were good people. They just had a strange hobby. Now, if you lived in the South, if it wasn't Pennsylvania, they were good people. They just had a strange hobby. Bless their heart. Right? That's how, that's how that statement would have went. But what a picture of what sin does. It doesn't matter. You can obey all the county inspections. You can do all the church things. You can check off all the religious to-do list things. But if you let sin stay around and you keep feeding it, eventually that sin is going to want more than what you're feeding it. And careless practices eventually have bad outcomes. Because sin is going to do what sin always does. Because it's a predator. And predators always do what predators do. And that is destroy their prey. You are sin's prey. And sin is trying to take you out. But that's why Paul reminds us. You have the spirit of God living in you. When you choose to follow Christ, you have accepted the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead to live in your life, to give you power, to raise you from the death of sin in your life. You're not debtors to your flesh. The only thing that sin has ever led anyone towards is death. Don't look to owe your fleshly desires anything. Oh God, everything. Because he gave you everything. And then not only that, Paul says that you don't just have a new resident. You've been adopted. You have been called children of God. And God's spirit is leading you, he says, to Christ's likeness. To become like Christ. To love what Christ loved. Despise what Christ despised. Seek what Christ seeks. Do what Christ did. He, he looks for nothing else but to move you towards that in this life. What comes with resurrection is a complete life change, a completely new direction in life. Then he goes on and he tells them, he says, you've been adopted and the spirit in you is crying out, Abba. It's crying out to the father, to the one who has adopted you. And that cry, that Abba cry, it's more than just the sweet little cry of a baby in the father's arms rocking in a rocking chair. This is the screaming cry to the Father. Help me. Help me. It's the cry to the, to the one that the Spirit in you knows has the power to help you. See, the Abba cry is the same cry that Jesus prayed in the garden. Mark, when he wrote his gospel, he tells us this, that when he was in the garden, he cried out, Abba, Father, take this cup from me if it be your will. 
but not my will, but your will be done. What's the cup he's asking to be taken from him? The oppression of every man's sin and the weight of it all that he was about to feel. The weight of sin, he was crying out, Abba, Father, take this sin from me. And Paul says, you've been given that spirit. And that spirit cries out through you, Abba, Father, take this sin out of my life. And we need to let that spirit pray through us. Abba is a cry of the crucified. That's why Paul in his other letter that he wrote to Galatia, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, or Galatians chapter 6 verse that's, I, I put the wrong verse in there. I'm sorry, Brian. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 should be the right one. It's, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. That's why Abba is the cry of the crucified. Because we let God crucify our flesh and our sin. When you go on, you understand and you see. Paul says, look, you are heirs of God. You're co-heirs with Christ. That means every blessing, every new thing from God is coming to you. Everything that Christ received, your co-heirs with Christ, you're receiving that with his son. But there is that little statement that says to share in his glory, we have to share in the suffering. He's reminding us that we might have to endure the temporary pain and the implications that come with sin because there are implications that come with sin. Evil, and death. And you may have to do, temporarily endure those pain before you fully experience the eternal joy of his glory. But don't forget the whole context of what, what Paul has been saying. You have victory and you have power over the sin. So you don't have to worry about the implications of that sin. Our journey in following Christ, it's not just about gradual self-improvement. It's about fellowship with God through his spirit. See, when we evaluate sin, a lot of times we look at sin and we say, what's the effect going to be if I do this act? What effect is it going to have on my life? We just need to go ahead and understand that the worst implication of sin is that it separates us from relationship from the Father and the power of his spirit working in us. Coming to Christ is an, it's not an embrace of religion. It is surrendering to a person. And the nature of that surrender is total. Because if you don't see it as total surrender, the only thing you're looking at God to God for is for God to just be a suggestion giver in your life. And then you choose whether or not to accept that suggestion. Coming to Christ is total surrender. See, a lot of times we want to treat coming to Christ like the way Wilbur Reese wrote in a poem called $3 Worth of God. Listen to what he said. He said, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with migrants. You can substitute into there whatever you have difficulty or whoever you have difficulty loving. I want ecstasy. I don't want transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. So that's how a lot of people treat God. 
But instead, it needs to be the way C.S. Lewis wrote it. When he said that Christ comes to us and Christ says these words, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time. I don't want a certain amount of your talents. I don't want a certain amount of your money, a certain amount of your work. I want you. All of you. I've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit. All of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams. Turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Think of Jesus telling you this. And then he would say, give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will and my heart shall become your heart. We give God total surrender. And what do we get in return? We get the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed on us. And no more does our Father, God, our Creator see the sin in us. He sees the righteousness of His Son. We get relationship with the Father, not just in eternity, but now. And we get the power of God's Spirit working in us and living in us. It's total surrender. But that surrender is worth it because of it. Because the resurrection power of Christ and his spirit gives you power over the sin that you constantly wrestle with. I know that sometimes we look at sin, we like, I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling to see that I have power over sin. A lot of us are still living in that Romans 7 mentality that Paul has talked about. And we haven't entered into the Romans 8 mentality. But look, when Jesus died on the cross, everybody thought it was hopeless too. When he died, all they saw was death and darkness. But the resurrection gave new hope and it changed everything. And the resurrection does the same for you. Even if you still battle and you still see struggles, the struggle is not the end. The struggle ends in victory. When you put yourself in Christ, his resurrection power can work through you. That's your hope. Hold on to that hope. Stand with me this morning. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you for revelation from your word. And God, we are so grateful that through your death, you've released us from the penalty of sin. We can be forgiven of our sins. In fact, you've already forgiven us. It's really just up to us to receive your forgiveness. But even beyond that, Father, your resurrection has given us the power over sin. And so I pray for us today in this room and those watching online that we can begin to understand that revelation. That we don't have to be in bondage to sin. That certain things in life are not our identity. We can have a new identity in you. It's not just who we are. It's just not how we've been made. How we were born. God, you can make us new. And I thank you for that today. As you continue to pray, I just want to encourage you as we worship God in these last moments. If you've never accepted the salvation that God has for you, the forgiveness of sins, then I just want to invite you today to receive his forgiveness. 
like that crippled man who was lowered through the roof. Jesus is standing over you today and he's saying, I have forgiven you. All you need to do is receive his forgiveness. Recognize Jesus. I realize I, I do acknowledge I've, I've, I've been, I've let sin rule me, but no more. I want to receive your forgiveness and not just that. I want to rise up and I want to walk in a new way. And I want your resurrection power to give me victory over that sin every day. As we worship him in this closing moment, I want you to just pray that prayer. Seek God. If, if you've been a follower of Christ, but there's still things you wrestle with in your life, do not be ashamed to wrestle with them right now through the spirit in worship and in prayer. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. Nobody's judging. Nobody's looking at you and wondering. And if, if you have a temptation to wonder what they're struggling with, don't. Stop. You need victory today. Approach the Father. He's prepared the way for your salvation. He's prepared the way for victory over sin through His resurrection. Receive what He's given you. And live this life for Him. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.